way things are right now, I think that you could probably make an argument that we're already in a recession. And so I think we have to be very careful at a policy level, at an individual decision level, to try and keep things from, from not getting too much worse. From the gas pump to the grocery store to our retirement plans, we're all feeling the effects of a very volatile economy. During this episode of Inside USF, the podcast, we'll take a look at where the economy may be headed. I'm Tom Wolf with University Communications and Marketing. Joining me via Microsoft Teams is Michael Snipes, a member of USF's economics faculty on the Sarasota Manatee campus. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Inflation is running above 8%, the highest it's been in 40 years. Why? That's a, that's a very good question that has kind of a lot of moving parts to it. Um, so I, I think to start with, what we're seeing is, at least partially, kind of the economy starting to come back online from, you know, when we had the lockdowns and the economic downturn in 2020 uh, because of COVID, starting to come out of it in, in 2021. And in 2022, it more or less, we're over the pandemic uh, side of, of, of COVID, but you know, we're still dealing with it. But really, the economy is, is starting to come back, at least in terms of demand, in terms of people finding jobs again, and things of that nature. And so what, what was kind of the trigger for it was, yes, you know, kind of pent-up demand. That's kind of the term that gets thrown around is, is pent-up demand, you know, the economy warming back up from being shut down for as long as it was. But really, when you kind of look a little bit deeper at the numbers, when you actually kind of do a little bit of digging, I mean, yeah, the, we have all of this demand coming back. But if demand is coming back, I mean, yeah, that is one thing that could be pushing inflation. But we also have a lot of you know corporations, you know, big corporations and medium-sized businesses that are at the same time kind of recording record profits. So we have kind of some things going on. So we have a lot of people who are still struggling. You know, wages really haven't changed that much. There's some anecdotal evidence that, you know, we're starting to see some places offering $13 an hour, $15 an hour, things of that nature. Um, but so wages are going up a little bit, but they're not going up fast enough to keep up with inflation. Doesn't that also suggest that in real terms, inflation is far higher than 8%? Yeah, and so there's there, a better way to think about it is in terms of what economists call the real wage or, or purchasing power, and and that's a good point. It's, that's because what do we as consumers? What is it that we really care about? What we really care about as consumers is, you know, buying stuff. You know, the, the fact that we can afford to, you know, buy groceries, that we can pay our rent, that we can pay for childcare. That's what we really care about. So. It's, it's not necessarily prices in and of themselves. It's not necessarily wages in and of themselves. It's, it's my purchasing power. It's how much stuff, for lack of a better term, it's how much stuff I can afford to buy with my income. And, and when you think about things uh, from a worker's perspective, from a consumer's perspective, that's really where we want to be looking. So if, if wages had, and you know, hourly wages, had kept up with inflation and growth in the economy, you know, there's a lot of buzz about, you know, $15 an hour, and that seems to be where a lot of people have, have landed. 
but there's really nothing special about fifteen dollars. Uh, honestly, I think that we kind of arrived at that number because, you know, it's it's easy to remember. Fight for fifteen; it rolls off the tongue. But if if we if if wages had kept up with inflation and with growth, really the minimum wage should be a lot closer to about twenty three dollars. So even fifteen dollars isn't going to be enough to kind of keep pace with the growth in the economy and keep pace with inflation. And and that is that's really kind of where we're actually seeing kind of the, the rubber hit the road there. That yes, it's a story about prices and yes, it's a story about wages, but you, we need to keep these things keep both of these things in mind at the same time if we're really kind of understanding where the pinch is in the economy from a consumer perspective. There's also the war in Ukraine. True. True. And that's and that's another thing that really that's that's not going to affect kind of the average consumer's day-to-day consumption decisions. Where that's really going to show up more than anything is probably in in the stock market. It might show up in, in the market for petroleum. And really all that's doing is it's kind of introducing an element of uncertainty into kind of the bigger, more macroeconomic models. So yes, it could affect the price of gasoline, but it's more likely to affect you know stock markets because when we have a lot of uncertainty well stock markets are are pretty notorious for not liking uncertainty i was just going to say that yeah yeah so the more uncertainty you kind of interject uh, inject into these bigger more macroeconomic markets that's where it's going to show up but then it kind of ties back to the regular consumer you know when we look at uh, the you know the most common most well-known measure for the size of the economy when we look at GDP and gross domestic product, you know, it's, it varies year to year, but on average, uh, about 70% of the economy is, is us. It's, it's the common people. It's, it's consumers. Consumer spending is 70% of the economy. And so, you know, okay, we might be having some uncertainty in the stock market, but then we kind of need to ask the question, well, what, how does that kind of translate into people's everyday actions? You know, most people don't really own stock. Or if they do own stock, it's going to be in a retirement fund. It's going to be in a managed account. You know, that's that's what I have with USF. And so most people who do have stock is going to be in a managed account. But a lot of people aren't going to have access to the stock market. A lot of people aren't going to have access to to financial markets in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that I tell my students is, you know, think about your life today and think about your life, you know, three months ago, four months ago, or even a year ago. And all through the pandemic, you know, the, the, the Dow Jones was setting, you know, all these record highs. And now we're starting to, to come back down a little bit because I think it was a bit of an overreaction. And now we're kind of correcting ourselves. And so I have one thing I would ask my students and I would ask people listening here, you know, OK, so the, the Dow was at record levels. But did your life really change? Was was kind of your day to day decisions? Did that really change? Was your life that much better because the stock market was at an all time high? Most people are going to say no. Most people are going to say, well, okay, the stock market's at an all time high. Isn't that a good thing? Well, if 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 what we're thinking about is kind of how that affects you know the average person, the average worker, you know, most people aren't going to have access to the financial market, to the stock market. It's not really going to affect them all that much. It's the Wall Street perspective versus the Main Street perspective. Yeah, I think that that's a good way you could put that, yeah. Mike, let me ask you about the Federal Reserve Board and and its approach. There are economists who 
believe that the Federal Reserve waited too long to aggressively raise interest rates in response to inflation. So what's your view? Are, and, and you just used the term a moment ago. Um, uh, did, did the Federal Reserve wait too long? Are we headed toward a recession? Yeah. Well, first off, if, if you will indulge me for a moment, I think we kind of it would be informative to say what when we talk about the Fed in changing or increasing interest rates, what exactly is that? Because that's a term that we all hear, but I don't think that a whole lot of people really understand how that works and why that works and what they're trying to do there. So what, what they're doing when they increase interest rates is they're increasing something called the federal funds rate, which is essentially the rate at which banks can borrow from other banks. So your local bank can take out an overnight loan from another bank uh, because maybe they're short on, they need to keep a certain amount of cash on hand. And if they're short, um, they can take out an overnight loan to make up that cap. So that, that's kind of the, the interest rate. When we talk about the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates, that's the interest rate primarily we're talking about. So how does that affect the rest of the economy? Well, if, if I'm a bank and I now have to pay more for an overnight loan, well, that's going to eat into my revenue. That's going to eat into my profit. So I, as a bank, I now have to do something to offset that increase in my cost. So if it's more expensive for me as a bank to borrow I'm going to offset that by um, you know, offering my customers higher rates of interest. In order, so I'm going to be earning more from you know, credit card interest or car payment interest or mortgage interest, and I'm going to increase those interest rates to offset the fact that I have to pay more as a bank to borrow. So that's, that's kind of the, how, it, how it goes. So if we increase the federal funds rate, it's going to filter through the rest of the economy because banks and, and uh, credit card companies are going to have to increase their interest rates in response to that in order to keep their profit up. But the whole idea is that, well, if we increase interest rates, uh, what that's going to do is that's going to encourage people to save money. So if we encourage people to save money, well, I mean, basically there's really only two things you can do with money. You can either save it or you can spend it. So if we're encouraging people to save more, then that means that they're going to be spending less. And so if they're spending less, then that is one thing that can cool an economy down. And if we're cooling the economy down, that is something that can bring prices down. So that's the idea behind it. And that's what, that's what they're trying to do, is encourage people to save more and spend less. And you know, the theory goes that that's going to be something that's going to rope in inflation. Um, so, so that's the idea. Um, but when we talk about, you know, did they wait too long to do this? Well, part of the reason why people think that this might not be such a good thing is that, yeah, okay, it decreases, uh, spending increases savings, but at the same time, if we're increasing interest rates, that's going to discourage investment. And so if we're discouraging investment, won't that have a negative effect on the economy? So not only are people spending less, people are investing less. That's the argument for why increasing the federal funds rate, increasing interest rates, might actually lead to a recession. That's that's kind of the the, chain, the argument there. And so it really now we're kind of falling into, um, you know, this really kind of isn't a settled question in economics. You know, everybody kind of most economists are going to fall into one of two camps. Um, you know, is increasing the interest rate is that a good thing uh, to slow the economy or grow the economy? Is it a bad thing? 
Should they have an activist policy? Should they be passive? And it's, it's absolutely not a settled question in, in just kind of the discipline of economics. Um, and so some of the people who are saying that, yeah, okay, we waited too long to increase interest rates, um, the kind of the argument goes that, you know, we waited for so long and inflation is, you know, kind of the cat's already out of the bag and now the cat is a, is a tiger and now we're trying to put a tiger back in the bag instead of a cat. And so did they wait too long? I mean, unfortunately, it's just going to be a waiting game. <laughs> and that's one of the frustrating things I think a lot of people have a frustration with in economics is that it's a lot of the times just a waiting game. Uh, is this going to be a good thing? Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Unfortunately, it's just something time will tell. I want to revisit inflation for a moment. Can we expect relief from higher prices anytime soon? My best guess would be no, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, because where we're seeing the highest increases in price, I mean, we're seeing it across the board, but where we're seeing the highest increases in price are in things like housing and in things like gas and in things like food. And the thing is, all of those things are necessary goods. We all have to have a place to stay. We have to have food. We have to have you know, gas in our car. Um, for our more uh, econ nerdy listeners out there, they're what are called uh, inelastic goods. So they're goods that consumers have to have. So if the price of these things goes up, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to not – you know, have a house. I'm not going to not have an apartment. I'm not going to not go to the grocery store. So those those things are, are going to stay there. But it goes back to one of the things we were talking about at the very beginning. What does that mean for purchasing power? So if the price of goods that I have to buy, that I, I don't really have a choice in buying, if the price of those things is going up, but my wages are staying the same, that's again where consumers are really going to start to feel the pinch. Um, and so that's – I really don't think, unfortunately, we're going to be seeing relief. Unless the federal government steps up or the state government steps up and does something, I don't really think that we're going to see any relief from inflation anytime soon because where we're seeing inflation is in a specific set of goods that everybody has to have. And so that's, that's one thing. People are going to keep buying these goods even if the price continues to go up. But they're also going to change their spending habits, and you're going to see a lot less discretionary spending. So that could be another way we could kind of have these knock-on effects in the economy that you know, we're spending so much of our income as a percentage on a specific set of goods because we have to. We don't have money left over to spend in other parts of the economy. A lot of what we've been talking about has been at the, the macro scale, if you will, kind of the national scale. What's your assessment of Tampa Bay's economy? The, the kind of the greater Tampa Bay area is, is, is a little bit different. Well, it's not a little bit different. I'd say it's pretty different than the rest of the country in that kind of what the primary driver, not the only driver, certainly, but the primary driver around here is going to be tourism. It's going to be people coming in from out of state. And so one of the things that did help Florida survive a little bit better than the rest of the country was the fact that during the pandemic, um, we basically kept our, our doors open and we kind of let things be as kind of status quo as they could. Now, speaking solely from an economics perspective, <laughs> so whether or not that was a good thing or a bad thing, 
that's a discussion for another time. But solely from an economics perspective, that did help, you know, quote unquote, the economy, because it did allow people from out of state to come in and bring their money and spend it here. Um, and so when one of the things, you know, a couple months ago, uh, when inflation in Tampa, uh, you know, Tampa Bay was at like eight, eight and a half percent, we had the highest inflation rate in the entire country. What that was reflecting was exactly that story, was individuals coming in from out of state and spending money here. Uh, and then when, if we think about who are the people who are going to be most likely to travel during a pandemic, well, it's going to be wealthier individuals. So not only did we have people coming in here from out of state, but they were, they were wealthier individuals coming in from out of state. That was, that's what was driving that 8% um, for Tampa Bay. And that's come down. And that's come down a lot. And, and again, that's, that's indicative of the economy kind of starting to recover. But because, you know, by and large, we're reliant upon an industry that can be very fickle, that, that can be very volatile. Uh, you know, you compare March 1st of 2020 with March 30th of 2020, just a month, and the difference in the hospitality and tourism industry was total. So, you know, we are seeing people start to vacation more. We are starting to see people, you know, coming back to the beaches, a lot of people coming in from out of state, you know, the housing market uh, in the whole area, but especially where I am, kind of in the Lakewood Ranch area, is just exploding with people coming in. So if, if we're bringing people in and they're moving here, and we're bringing tourists in because that's what a big part of our economy is. I think Tampa Bay is going to do probably okay relative to the rest of the country. We're going to do probably better and probably recover a little bit more quickly than the rest of the country. You just touched on something I wanted to ask about specifically, which is housing. And that's been, of course, a huge topic in our region. What are you seeing there? Yeah, uh, housing, and I'll talk about housing prices. And again, it ties into that thing that housing is, it's a necessity. So if housing prices are going up, that's going to really put a pinch on, on a lot of people. But housing prices throughout the entire region, uh, but again, especially where I am, I mean, my, I bought my house, I think about six years ago, five, six years ago, and it's already doubled in value. And there's no real reason why the, the value of a house or the price of the house should, do, should double in, in five years. So what's happening is, is, again, it's all of those people who are now coming in, and they used to be tourists. They would come here and maybe you know, rent a house for a couple of weeks or whatever. Now they're coming here. They're not just going on vacation. Now they're coming here and staying here. So we're seeing a huge influx of people coming into the state. Well, they need they need places to stay. They need houses. And again, these are going to be you know wealthier individuals. So the type of housing that's going to be get built is going to be for wealthier individuals. It's not necessarily going to be apartments. It's going to be you know relatively big homes. So prices really but, aren't coming down. No, no, uh, they're not. Um, if anything, they're going up even more quickly. Um, which again, you know, I kind of mentioned in passing, two thousand eight. Think about what was, what was happening in 2008, or maybe you know 2006, 2007. We had you know kind of rapidly skyrocketing housing prices, and that's kind of what we're seeing these days. Uh, it is a little bit of a different scenario, so I'm not as worried. But I mean, the fact that we're seeing the housing market, housing housing market, really expand as much as it has 
and probably a little bit more concerningly as quickly as it has, I mean, it's, it, it's not sustainable. It, it, it's, it's just not sustainable. This, this rapid growth is not sustainable. So you, I, I think there's a lot of builders out there and a lot of contractors out there who, you know, kind of the mentality is going to be you got to get while the getting's good. And right now the getting's good, but it's, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. Um, but again, when, when things will cool down, it's, it's really hard to say. Well, and in theory, the higher interest rates on mortgages could have that effect of cooling off the housing market, right? That is true. And that's, that's, that's a very good point, um, that if we make mortgages more expensive, that should drive down the demand for, for houses. Uh, and for for yeah for houses for housing, um, but again, if if we increase interest rates and it makes it harder for people to get a home, then we're right back to what we were talking about, right? That's just going to make housing just that much more expensive. It's going to make housing just that much more inaccessible for people. So, yes, increasing interest rates could cool the housing market and could bring housing prices down. But now we've got more expensive mortgages. So you, you kind of can't have, have it both ways. Um, the housing market is, is kind of notoriously a, kind of a screwy market. And that's kind of what we're seeing now is that, well, okay, if we increase interest rates, you know, there's less demand for housing. But then you just made those mortgages more expensive in, in the first place. So it's, it's kind of a catch-22 in the housing market right now. Any other thoughts? No, I, I think that right now, where we are, this is going to come off a little bit, it's, it's not great. And unfortunately, I don't really see things getting a whole lot better anytime soon. And I know that that's not fun to hear. That's not what people want to hear. But uh, I, I, think, I, I think that that's, that's, that's where we are. I think that's where we're going to be going. And I think that people should be, if, if you hear somebody whether it's an economist or whoever it is, say, oh, this isn't going to last, this is going to last three months. Be wary of that, because the, the honest answer is that it's incredibly diff- difficult to predict. It's incredibly difficult to predict the future, is what it boils down to. And when you have an economy as complex as the American economy, that just adds in another layer of, of complexity and chaos that is really, really hard to control for, really, really hard to predict. So, uh, unfortunately, my honest answer is I think things – I don't think things would necessarily get that much worse. I don't think we're going into a depression. I don't think that. Uh, could we move into a recession? Absolutely. Um, so I, I think that things are, are bad, and I think they're going to stay bad. Could possibly get worse, unfortunately. We do have to see kind of the effects of what's going to happen with the Fed's increase in the interest rate. We do have to see what's going to happen with inflation and wages. Um, and unfortunately, it's just a waiting game. And I know that that's a very unsatisfying answer. Uh, I'm unsatisfied with that answer, but that is the answer. Unfortunately. No question. I'd rather hear optimism from you, but I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, I <laughs> And uh, you know, I I'll, if 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 I was optimistic, I I would try and convey that. Um 
but it's I, I think it's I think it's better for people to acknowledge reality and kind of face that reality and try and put kind of, you know, rose colored glasses on things. Because I think all that does is that if we kind of have a, a false positivity about things, then I think that that just kind of delays any kind of progress we could be making, that delays any kind of real-world decision-making a state or the federal government could be making. That if we kind of deny reality, it makes it a lot easier to ignore the problem in the first place. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. We welcome your ideas for future episodes. Please visit MyUSF or directly at usf.edu slash insideusf to share your suggestions. Special thanks to our production team at WUSF Public Media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on MyUSF or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Copyright 2022 the University of South Florida.